Hello, I'm Derek Doak, and you're listening to the Real Estate Investment Insights Podcast. For over 25 years, I've been serving the investment property industry, from preparing tax returns for property owners when I worked in public accounting, to creating multi-million dollar syndications as a commercial broker. Throughout my career, I've always had a passion for learning and teaching what I've learned to others. This podcast is for fellow brokers, agents, investors, and real estate syndicators wanting to learn from those that have done it. My goal is to bring value to you through the sharing of best practices and industry knowledge. Each episode is geared towards providing knowledge and insights on industry topics and trends. Please enjoy this episode, and if I can be of any assistance, please reach out to me at Derek at dokemail.com. Now enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to another Real Estate Investment Insights podcast. I'm your host, Derek Doak, and today I'm going to walk through my highest and best use analysis. So when I look at properties, whether it's for clients that have owned property for a long time, or if I'm looking at a new acquisition, I always run it through what I call a highest and best use analysis. And today, I want to kind of walk through uh, a client that has an existing retail center, um, had about uh, seven uh, tenants in the property, had some excess space, and they've owned this property for a very long time, fully depreciated. And they would like to get a highest and best use analysis performed on the property so they can kind of decide if it's what they want to do. Um, They already know that they can make more money somewhere else in another type of asset class, but they still want to go through the exercise. And we'll talk about that in a little bit, too, around the DST and the Delaware Statutory Trust. So uh, for this example today, uh, what we're talking about here with the family is that they had this existing retail center, seven tenants, some excess space, and they want to know what they can and can't do with it. Um, when I enter a new arrangement or a new engagement with a client or prospect, the first thing that I do is really I interview them to kind of understand where their mindset is at. Um, in this situation, they have a couple of uh, owners, uh, one that wants to sell, one that wants to keep, and one that doesn't really care. They'll kind of stay in the middle, uh, whichever direction they go, they're okay with. Um, a lot of situations that comes about where they have these conversations internally um, they're not really sure what the numbers look like, so they haven't really made a decision, but some of them have kind of the, the heartfelt opinion on one way or the other. And so what I do is I try to talk to them about what's their mindset for the next 12 months and the next 36 months. What do they envision? What do they see? Of course, they all have stories of friends that sold something similar for a lot more money than the property's worth or that they are able to get rezoning uh, put in place to allow them to build a huge mixed-use type 5 construction, uh, you know, four over one on the podium, uh, retail at the bottom. So it's the, the mindset of where they're at as an ownership group. So I look at it from the return perspective. What are they looking to get? What's their cash flow they're hoping to have? And then what's their overall objective of the property? And so when I look at the property from the investment analysis, the first thing I want to dive into is the numbers. Um, My background being public accounting uh, and tax, uh, I love the numbers and numbers don't lie. Uh, So uh, you want to make sure you're looking at the right numbers, too, because that's why I ask for the tax returns as well as the financial statements, because sometimes there's a mix between the two. And mainly the tax returns, I'm looking to see what kind of depreciation they've taken, what kind of recapture potential there could be, and then also to see if there's any of the type of expenses that aren't on the financials or that are on the financials that aren't making it to the tax return. 
So when we look at the objective and the scope of work, the first thing is around the financials and the market analysis. So on the financials, I'm really trying to understand the cash flow. So what is the cash flow they're currently getting from the property and making sure pulling out the expenses that they've baked in for their own personal goods because landlords uh, have a tendency to put some things in there that are part of their, for their personal use, especially in smaller properties. And you want to make sure you pull those out so you get the true numbers of the asset so you can kind of get to a number from a valuation perspective. So I'm looking at the cash on cash return. I'm looking on the cash on net equity return, which is the equity they have after paying the expenses um, as it relates to disposition of the asset or also the return on equity. So without selling the property, what's their return on their equity currently based on what the value of the property could be? Um, And last but not least is the return on investor capital. So in some situations, they have no capital in it. It's an infinite return. Um, So you kind of have to look at it from that perspective and say, if you got no money in it, uh, as far as any capital and you're just getting cash flow, it's hard to compete with an infinite return, but there's still an equity component. So you're looking at that equity component and saying, am I getting the most on my equity? And that's basically taking the cash flow divided out by the equity and you kind of know what your return is. Um, after I go through and understand the balance sheet, the financial statements, really get my grasp on the, the tax consequences and the numbers around the financials, I'm going into the leases. Um, most properties, uh, unless you're looking at something that's been rezoned and also you can go 30 stories up or there's a higher and better use just for the land, most properties, the value is going to be in the leases that are currently on the property. So that's kind of what I'm looking for is I'm looking for the, uh, the leases that are going to provide the value. So in uh, some leases, you've got six month out clauses where the tenant can give you six months and they can move out. Well, as an investor, you're going to look at that and say, I'm not interested in this lease because it can pop out in six months. They can just let us know that they're moving out. And so I really, I'm going to value that a lot less than I would if it was a full five-year or 10-year lease in place. Um, Also on renewals. Renewals, I don't put a lot of value in renewals. And the reason why is because the renewals I've seen over the last, I don't know, call it three or four years, have all been renegotiated. So um, there's a tendency to renegotiate renewals. And again, unless your asset is just, you know, corner of first and main and, and so sought after as a small landlord or as a landlord that has a couple properties you want to keep them full, it's going to be hard not to um, take their offer, which is less than what the renewal rate would be. So um, that's part of that mindset, too. Do you want to own this property? Are you going to be play hardball because, you know, you can get a better tenant in place? And it's my responsibility as the analyst looking at this property on the ownership uh, behalf is to show them there is value in letting that tenant go and bringing somebody else new in. So that's all part of that highest and best use analysis. So a full detailed lease review is important and a recap of that. Then I'm looking at the property management and a property management agreement. So if it's self-managed, I'm going to interview them just like I would a property manager. And it's really understanding how much time is going into the property, how much energy is going in to keep the tenants in place. Are they, are they keeping them happy? Are they doing the things that need to be done? Do they have complaints about being too aggressive? Um, and that comes from the interviews with the tenants, which I do as well. So talking with the tenants to get a feel for um, what they like about the property, what issues have they been with the property, and what can we do to make it better uh, to help them grow their business? Because we're only as good as our tenants in that situation. So uh, so I'll take a full analysis of the property management and the property management agreement. Um, then after I've, so I've got the property, I know the financials, I know the leases, I know the property management. And then 
At the same time as I'm doing loan and credit review, I'm also doing some physical inspections. This is where I bring up my contacts of people I've worked with to really understand the mechanical, understand the roof. Um, if there's agreements in place with vendors, I want to interview them, talk to them, make sure they're charging the right rates, uh, make sure they're doing their work. You know, I had a situation where the date porter never showed up on a property I was doing the analysis on. So I spot checked. He gave us a calendar of when he was going to be there. I went out there in that three hour window, never showed up, followed back up at the end of the day uh, with an email asking, how did the site go in the cleanup? Said, oh, it went great. Nothing we could see. And I was there. So they flat out lied about it. So I have no tolerance for liars, thieves, and flies. So I went ahead and said, you're out and uh, got rid of them. And we brought in a new group for the day porters doing a great job. The tenants are very happy. So um, so it's important that you're doing these types of uh, vendor analysis at the same time as you're doing the property inspection and bring in people that aren't on the property to do the inspection. So if you've got a roofer that you worked with and they've got an agreement with somebody, uh, the property you're analyzing or the property that I was analyzing had a different roofer. I brought in my roofer uh, to take a look at as a flat roof, a membrane roof. I wanted to see what the true life is on it and uh, make sure there's work being done. So most of those can be done at no cost because you do plenty of business with these vendors. And I do plenty of business with uh, the roofer and the mechanical um, and uh, structural and some engineers that they can come out and give me assessments. So I always look at the structure about the same time I start working on the bank. Um, credit facilities and uh, loan amounts um, because I kind of want to know where the loans are at. And when I'm talking to the inspectors, I want to see if there's any deferred maintenance. So when I talk to lenders around valuation and around refinancing, uh, I kind of know a number that's going to be necessary to kind of bring it up to where it needs to be if we're keeping the property. Um, we'll get into this in a minute, but another important key is around that zoning. And, uh, and when I start looking at the zoning, if there's a higher variation of zoning, that's where I'm going to my development buddies and having those conversations around if this was torn down and rebuilt, what does it look like? What could it look like? Um, so zoning definitely plays a key in there. So after that, I'm going after I do the loan and credit analysis review, I'm going to the market review. Uh, this is where I'm going. Since it's a retail situation, I'm looking a mile to three miles. It wasn't destination retail. It was just convenience retail. So that's going to keep me more in that one to two mile range. But I still got the three miles see what the competition is, see what the rent rates are, see what the cam rates are, see if there's any new developments being built. And this is where you're in the city, having those conversations to see if anybody is building anything new, anybody's acquired any land, um, anybody's doing any rehabs or re, um, in for permit or is going to the city council meetings to see about getting any zoning changes. So I'm having those conversations as I'm looking at the uh, the market and understanding that three-mile ring uh, around the property to see what could be possible. Um, also, at that same time, kind of leads into my risk uh, assessment. So my investment risk assessment, I'm looking at the same type of things on that three-mile radius. So I'm trying to understand the market potential. Um, this is where I pull in my CCIM reports, and I start looking at, are there any services or products that are being underserved in this market or products that are being overserved. So if there's too many of those types of uh, tenants uh, offering those types of services and products, uh, and if they're in our building, then that's a cause of concern and a, and a risk assessment um, and looking at that investment risk. And also looking at the tenants you currently have, if there's a lot of vacancies around you, are they going to do flight to quality? 
will they leave to go to another property because it's cheaper rent and a better building? So, um, so that all kind of plays in when we talk about the investment risk. And then last but not least, with investment risk, you're talking about demographics. You know, is it growing? Is it shrinking? Um, what's the spending and buying habits? You know, those types of things. Um, and then also the population as far as new rooftops. Are there new construction going on around you? Is there new houses? Is there condos? Is there apartments? Um, really trying to get a feel for what's coming in your area and what that three mile ring is going to look like, uh, you know, over the next few years uh, as I'm doing this uh, investment analysis. As I mentioned with this one, it was seven tenants retail. You could put a pad out front. Um, the zoning on this wasn't as favorable to do any type of higher and better use. Uh, it was purely retail and uh, the height limit was there. So there really wasn't any opportunity to try to squeeze on or look at any type of mixed use development uh, in this area. And uh, quite frankly, uh, any type of subterranean parking here would never work. And that's part of that feasibility. I mean, it's at the cost you pay for subterranean parking, your rents being, you know, in the $20 range of square foot, you just can't support doing subterranean parking um, at this type of location. So now I've done the market review, the investment and risk analysis um, and assessment. Then I kind of put it all together. And this is where I, I kind of do the four tests of like an appraiser would do. And that comes down to the, is it legally permissible for what we're going to do? In this situation, zoning didn't allow for going bigger, but it allowed for us to put a pad out front so we could do a drive-through pad. Um, is it physically possible? Absolutely. We're like a six-to-one parking ratio, so we were able to take a piece of the land and put the drive-through on there. Uh, definitely financially feasible. The property was owned outright, so the ability to refinance that property, take the capital out to do the development, and the return on that capital is going to be in excess of 10 to 12 percent um, on the finished product, which is great. And then uh, and then looking at is it uh, profitable? And of course, in this situation, it was profitable. At the end of the day, the actual decision that's being weighed right now is selling it because the return they're getting is less than one percent on their equity, even though they've got no debt. And they fully depreciated this, so they've got a huge capital recapture, but their return, their cash flow based on the equity they have in the property is less than 1%. So this is where you start looking around and you start having the conversations around 1031. Well, most people are um, looking at 1031s and they can't find what it is they'd like to invest in. So for me, I'm really uh, a supporter. I support the Delaware Statutory Trust, the DST model. Um, I like Inland Securities, uh, their model of, of what they brought to the table for years and uh, in their, their DST platform. And so the ability to sell the property, 1031 into a Delaware Statutory Trust with Inland Securities, which is an institutional grade investment, and look to get returns in four and a half to five and a half percent cash on cash returns with a projected of nine plus percent IRR and you got institutional management, institutional financing, institutional grade asset, and you got cash flow from day one. Um, you still file your schedule E like you would as a property owner. And, uh, and so you still get your schedule E filing. It still goes to your tax return that way. And, uh, and then you get your monthly distribution. So, um, so from a highest and best use analysis objective, and scope of work, you're looking at, you know, a full financial market analysis, you know, the cash on cash, cash on equity, really diving deep into the leases, understanding all the leases, uh, diving in deep on the property management and the vendors that are supporting the properties to make sure that they're being 
checks and balances in place so that they're not taking advantage of, of the property and the landlord who might not be as hard on them as somebody who's managing it on their behalf. Um, and then you're looking at the market uh, review and assessing the risk, looking at all the financing options, uh, meeting with the city, make, see what the zoning allows for, and taking that into consideration as you look at the value of the property for highest and best use and doing a redevelopment. Um, and then you're kind of putting it all together and providing a synopsis and laying it out for them. Now, for me, I do charge for this. This is a fee, this is a, a fee-based service that I charge um, on behalf of the clients. And uh, the clients have always been more than happy to pay for it because they know I have no hidden agenda. I'm not trying to get a listing. I'm not trying to force them to do something else with the land. It's just how do you look at this property and provide a valuation from the sense of cash flow, highest and best use, and what fits with the mindset of the investors? And that's kind of what I really look to do is uh, to help the clients with that. So at the end of the day, it ends up being all about the return and peace of mind. And every investor is in a different phase uh, of their cycle. If they're at the tail end of their investment cycle, they want to move into something that's less management and get more time back. If they're at the forefront, then they're looking for things with bigger opportunities, a little more risk, but they can increase and build some wealth and then put that wealth to work for them in other areas. So um, that's, that's what's exciting. That's, that gets really exciting when you start doing uh, high smash use analysis for families like that that uh, are on both spectrums, whether they're building or whether they're just trying to stabilize and uh, have a little easier uh, life and uh, from a time perspective and not be uh, at the beck and call of, you know, issues with tenants and other things. So uh, that's it for today. I uh, hope you enjoyed this conversation and uh, hopefully you learned something around highest misuse analysis. And if I can be of any assistance uh, in your analysis, uh, please don't hesitate to give me a call. Uh, you can reach me at 425-802-3653. And I look forward to uh, helping any way I can. Uh, again, thanks for listening and have a great day. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you should have any questions, please do not hesitate to reach out to me directly at Derek at DokeMail.com. Again, thanks for listening, and I hope you all have a great day. Thank you.